On today's show, we have Leo Chen, the COO of Pangolin. We're going to discuss details about the project, funding, team, and token, along with any plans on the roadmap. Leo, let's start by going into your background about yourself, please. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. So my name is Leo. I'm the COO of Pangolin Exchange. And Pangolin is one of the largest DEXs, decentralized exchanges, on the Avalanche network, which is getting very popular right now. So, you know, Avalanche is another L0, L1 network where DeFi runs. They're building a pretty cool project. It's getting very popular. And Pangolin is, is one of the first DEXs, one of the largest DEXs, right? So the purpose that we serve is we allow users to come and swap for a variety of tokens. And we allow projects to add their liquidity so that they can get funding for their project, their tokens can be swapped. And so, you know, my role as COO, I run the operations, the marketing, strategic growth, and I'm just here to kind of have a nice chat about the project, about the ecosystem. I'm looking forward to chatting. Oh, I appreciate coming on today. How did the project form and how did it come together to solve a problem? Yeah, that's a great question. So Penguin has some unique beginnings because it was created by Ava Labs, which is the company that created the Avalanche Network. And so they needed kind of a flagship project to showcase their contract chain, right, where apps can start building. And so they built Pangolin, but their vision was to hand it off to the community. They wanted it to be a community-run project with kind of like a fair-launched token. So it didn't have any VCs. All the tokens were distributed through airdrops and farming. And eventually, after a few months, they transitioned it to an independent team. And that's when me and the other core team members came on to run the project. So now we run the project full-time. We have a pretty robust team. We're still getting advised by the Ava Labs team. We have a couple of their devs helping out. It's kind of the origins is, you know, for a long time, Pangolin was the dominant app on the network. Uh, something like 80% TVL for, for six months was in Pangolin, just because it was very reputable, trusted, you know, it was a solid app to use, and everyone liked to trade here. And then recently, the landscape really changed. Avalanche had the Avalanche Rush program launched which was you know, $180 million in liquidity incentives for apps to come build here and for native apps. I think at current, current prices, that's, that's like $500 million in incentives right now. So a ton of users came into the network and, and it's just blown up. So there's a lot of popular apps right now and we're, we're really happy to be a part of this growth and to be supporting the ecosystem. What is the size of the team that's driving the project forward right now? Right, so we've got five core team members a lead engineer. We've got our CEO, Justin, really good UX designer, a couple of other strong engineers, and then just so many part-time people helping out with marketing, moderation, PR. I mean, it takes a lot of effort to run a project this scale. What we love about the team is it's very community sourced, right? We didn't post job listings and just interview 10 people and pick one. We looked at the community and saw like, hey, who's already contributing in the ecosystem? The project loves Avalanche and Pangolin. Let's get those people to work on the team. And that's kind of how we recruit a Pangolin. And then how do the team members get incentivized to continue to keep working? Right. Now that's an interesting one. So to start, you know, there was a, a treasury set aside of PNG tokens to fund the team. So the team gets paid salary from that fund. And it's interesting because it's different than like a traditional project where you start with a bunch of like vested tokens, right? We don't have that right now. We might move into that model in the future because that's, I think, a better way to incentivize performance, right? You know, if you 
if you're getting paid hourly or salary, your mindset is a little different than if you kind of have like stocks, like in a traditional company. So it's something that you know we're discussing. We're still in the early stages of figuring out the best way to incentivize people. But that's a good question. To take in more of a vested interest where they have to put in a certain amount of time. Yeah, something like that. You know, maybe uh, unlocks every year for four years or something like that, just a set amount of tokens. Yeah. You mentioned liquidity and incentives. Can you go into details there? about what you guys are currently offering? Sure, are you talking about for the team or for kind of uh, users of the platform? Yeah, for users of the platform. A DEX depends on having a lot of liquidity for swaps, right? I think we have between three to $400 million in liquidity for users to swap with, depending on token prices. And to incentivize people to deposit their liquidity, we offer liquidity mining rewards or farming rewards. And traditionally that comes from the PNG token emissions per day. PNG is the governance token of Pangolin. It's trading around $2 right now. And we emit about 175K PNG tokens per day to the various farms or liquidity mining pools in our app. And the most popular ones are like AVAX ETH, like AVAX PNG. And so people add their liquidity or yield on it. And on the flip side of that, people get to trade that liquidity. And it's a very nice decentralized system. And what is your position on you know incentivizing through these liquidity pools, meaning investors coming in for a period of time and then leaving, or how to retain those users? Yeah, that's a good question too. You know, how do we get the sticky liquidity and not on not the like uh, mercenary <laughs> liquidity, right? And I think there's two two ways to do that. One, you know, as a dex, our, our bread and butter is the swap volume, right? Liquidity providers, even without the rewards token on top they earn 0.25% of each swap. So the higher our volume is, the more revenues these liquidity providers get. Like if you look at Uniswap, they don't give uh, token rewards. It's all from swap volume, the, the APRs, and it's a great model. So that we're really focused on keeping the volumes high, which means we need to you know, get liquidity in the right places. We need to bring projects into our app that are popular or are going to be popular. But as for actually providing the incentives, I think it's about consistency. It's about predictability, right? When people add their money somewhere to yield farm or for yield, they want to know like, hey, in six months, is this going to be the same in a year? What's it going to be like? They don't like it when apps change it up a lot or just have short-term things. So Penguin is very consistent with the way they offer yield and APRs, which I think that's what keeps people around in Penguin instead of hopping around. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, I mean, how do you th- how, how do investors build trust with you guys, you know, in putting this liquidity with you? You know, DeFi is pretty new, pretty risky, I would say, right? You're kind of depositing money into smart contracts. There can be a number of things that go wrong. So you really need to trust, you know, one, that the code is solid, two, that the team is professional, they have good intentions, they have best practices, right? And three, that the yield is going to be consistent. It's not just going to you know, drop off after a couple of weeks. And so for Pangolin, Pangolin is the flagship project of Avalanche and the team that was built around it, the people supporting the project, they really want to make sure Pangolin upholds the best standards of safety for their users, right? So and we're not in a non-team, we're all doxxed. We all have 10 plus years in traditional software engineering, so we know those best practices to follow. You know, we're very safe with our coding practices, new contracts, need audits. We don't push out features really fast because we test. We want to make sure it's extremely safe. And I think that's that's kind of why users trust the app when they deposit you know, up to millions of dollars at a time. 
And that's why the large projects building on Avalanche look to Penguin first to partner. I don't know if you heard of Banky, but you know they're they're a very strong partner. They're a lending platform on Avalanche with over a billion TVL and. And in projects like that, they really want the safety and the reputation above all, right? When they choose their partners, so I, th- I think that's what keeps people coming to Pangolin and, and you know staying in Pangolin is that that safety. Is there any internal policies that kind of dictate the quantity or who can do the code audits? Right. So audits they usually happen from um, you know reputable third party companies, and we're working with Halborn right now. Halborn also works with Able Labs themselves. They're recommended to us. They've already audited one of our contracts, and we're going to have a lot more audited by them too. All right, so that's one check and balance. And another is just you know things like multi-signature wallets, where not one person or a small group is controlling key funds or key contracts. It's a nine-person multi-sig wallet. We source people from across the ecosystem to be signers on the wallets. It's very transparent and safe in that way. And what do you see are the benefits of you guys participating in Avalanche ecosystem versus another chain? Oh yeah, that's a great question too. You know, why Avalanche? Why not go cross chain? Well, Pangolin started, you know, as an Avalanche native project, right? You know, it was built to showcase the power of Avalanche, and the power of Avalanche being, you know, the sub-second finality on transactions, the scalability, you know, thousands of transactions at a time, and just the cheap fees. I think doing a swap is like a dollar or less on Avalanche compared to maybe Ethereum or something. And why just stay here and why not go cross-chain? I think two main reasons. One, we think Avalanche you know, is going to be a huge player in the future. We're already seeing its growth. And we don't want to focus our efforts elsewhere if we think Avalanche is going to continue to grow and be huge. And then two is just we already have this kind of incumbent advantage here, the recognition, the embeddedness in the ecosystem. There's so many apps that are integrated with Pangolin on Avalanche that it would be kind of hard to start from scratch if we went to like a BSC or a Phantom, right? It's definitely doable. Like we would want our token trading over there, but to kind of launch the app, get that traction, we would rather focus our efforts here and keep expanding. And why'd you guys go with the AMM model? I guess that's kind of pioneered by Uniswap. Right. So, you know, back when Pangolin started, that was kind of the gold standard of decentralized exchange contracts, right? AMM, automated market maker, where... It kind of just figures out the price with a with a very simple ratio between two tokens. What's beautiful about that model is, you know, anyone can come into an AMM DEX and just add their liquidity. You can spin up a project today, deploy a token, pair that with an existing token, and bam, it's trading. You've got investors, you've got users swapping your token, all permissionless. You don't need to ask Pangolin, "Can I do this?" You just kind of go do it. So it's very streamlined in that way. With all these different blockchains kind of coming out and trying to get market traction, offering incentives, maybe what are some of the benefits people can expect on being on the Avalanche blockchain? Why come to Avalanche over maybe Polygon, maybe BSC or Ethereum, right? Yeah. So I think the most common one is comparing to Ethereum. You know, if Ethereum is already pretty good, has a lot of projects, why use alternative L2s, L1s? I want to say it's just the limitations of Ethereum right now. The cost of transactions is very high. The speed of transactions can be minutes, half an hour, hour during busy times. And for a lot of users, especially new users, that's a very high barrier to entry, right? You don't want to have your first time trying DeFi, be spending $200 and then waiting three hours to see if it worked or not. (laughs) That's not very fun. And even as an experienced user, I really like trial and error when I use apps. You know, I don't want to have to think about it 
make sure it's right. I just kind of just want to do it and see if it works. And and these these L2s, L1s with the cheap transactions and the quick speeds kind of allow that experimentation, that iteration. And then kind of also just the community, right? Ethereum is very saturated and competitive. If you look on crypto Twitter, there's kind of a lot of beef on there. Uniswap versus Sushi Swap, they're jabbing all the time. <laughs> it's kind of hostile almost. And we don't really have that on Avalanche, not yet, just because the ecosystem's so small. We all just wanted to see it grow. There's, you know, we don't take jabs at other projects because we know that the pie isn't big enough yet. We, we're trying to grow the whole pie for everybody. A good example is, you know, the other leading decks on the network, Trader Joe. I used to work with their founder. We chat with friends. And you kind of just don't see that in other networks, that friendliness. So it's a really good vibe, a really good community over here. Um, and let's kind of compare it to something like, like a BSC. Why would I use Avalanche and not just go to BSC? Because BSC has more apps right now and more TBL. And I kind of want to just say it's the kind of the reputation and the safety. When I look at BSC, I see something like 50 or less nodes secured in the network. It feels very centralized. Like a couple of people could shut it down or, or change it if they wanted to. And just the kind of projects building there feel more cash grabby. It's kind of a casual way to put it. Of, you know, They're not trying to build innovative ideas. They kind of just want their token to increase in price so they can make money. And that's not really the ethos on Avalanche. On Avalanche, it's a very more institutional, very professional atmosphere. That's the culture that Ava Labs has created because they do want to go after institutional investors, traditional finance. That's kind of their business plan. And I think it's a very good one too, because if you think about it, most of the money in finance is in traditional finance. You know, you can get so much money out of retail, but, but that's a small fraction compared to the traditional finance market. And that's also the vibe of the projects here is let's be extremely professional. Let's build cool, innovative products for the ecosystem. And let's build it safely. You know, there's not a lot of exploits, rug pulls here. Do you think community size is kind of a factor in culture then? Because you kind of maybe mentioned like Ethereum or something, other larger blockchains have a bigger network. Do you think that community size has a play into that? Yeah, I think so. You know, it's definitely kind of like a smaller community vibe here on Avalanche where a lot of users cross communities and they know all the projects. Whereas, you know, back when I was on Ethereum a lot using maybe like SushiSwap or something, people kind of stick into their communities because there's just so much out there and the community is large enough to kind of support itself already. So that's a good point. I, I see where you're coming from with that. Is there any other factors that we haven't touched on that differentiate yourself or some of the other DEXs? Yeah, so you know, Pangolin versus maybe let's say Sushi Swap, let's say another big Dex Trader Joe. You know, I think one thing that people like is just this fair launched token and the fact that we don't have any VCs, right? VCs are a little controversial in crypto and DeFi. On the plus side, they give you the liquidity, the capital, they have influence, they can connect you with a lot of people. But on the downside, you've got these large investors and you're kind of at the whim of their voting power, their capital. And that kind of scares some individual investors away when they see so-called whales, people with a lot of capital holding the token. And Pangolin's not like that. We were fair launched. The people with, a, with large holdings all bought it on the open market. We don't really kind of need that to be successful is how we work at Pangolin. So I think people see that and they see a little more like, hey, I have voting power in this project. My voice matters here and I won't be overshadowed by just a corporation with um, with a lot of money is what people would feel. 
What do you see as some risks for users or investors that we have a lot of billions of dollars of TVL on certain projects? How do you kind of manage risk? You know, someone running away with the funds or whatever. Right, right. That's very important. So, you know, there are best practices to follow around that. So when people deposit money into smart contracts, you have to make sure who is that smart contract owned by? It can't be one person. Ideally, it's another smart contract, like a, like a governance contract where people have to vote to make changes, or it's a multi-signature wallet with doxed public members, ideally with like at least five people on that wallet, right? So that not one, two, or like just a small group of people can collude to manipulate funds or smart contracts. And the docs part is so that you know, not one person is just two wallets and they're pretending to be two people. That's true. And is there any other things that people should be, from a security standpoint, implementing while they're interacting with the DAX? Right. Advice to, to other projects building is let's fork safe and audited contracts when you're building a new project or let's test rigorously and get your new contracts audited, ideally before they go live, especially if they hold user funds, Right. And two, let's use these multi-signature wallets so that not one person could just choose to take funds out or, or dump them. And then for most of these smart contracts, there's no way to withdraw user funds. And that's the best practice is only the user can withdraw their own funds. There's no functions built into the smart contract where it's like, hey, just take out all the funds somewhere else. And how about for users and investors interacting with Pangolin? For users and investors, there's a lot of best practice to follow when you're researching a new project. Right. Well, one, you want to know the team, like who's, who's building this? Are they repeatable? Have they built other things? Are they public or are they Anon? Um, you know, Anon is like kind of a gray area in crypto and DeFi. It definitely protects people because we are exposed online. But on the other side, it, it kind of allows people more freedom to do things that they wouldn't do if they were doxxed. So research the team. Two, let's look at their security practices. Did they publish all their contracts publicly? Did they get audited? Are they forked or are they brand new? Generally, the fork contracts are safer because another project already tested and audited them versus running a brand new contract. Not a lot of people have used it. There could be exploits that haven't been found yet. What percent of the market share you think DEXs will ultimately like take on this next cycle? Do you think it, most of it starts coming away from the central exchanges and is all through decentralized exchanges? You know, one, I think it's, can these DEXs get people who are just used to using traditional exchanges to use their DEXs, right? And I think the key to that is the user experience. It, it kind of has to just feel like you're using Binance or Coinbase. And under the hood, it could actually be a DEX, but if it just feels like an exchange, I think that could attract a lot more people because making the leap to setting up a MetaMask, swapping in a, in a UI that's like Uniswap, that looks like an AMM, that's scary to some people. They don't want that. They want the limit orders, they want the charting, they want possibilities of leverage. And so if we can mirror all of the functionality you get in a traditional exchange in a DEX, I think that's going to be really big because then it's it's basically the same thing, right? And do you think that's just a matter of time for you guys to all implement those features? Yeah, I think so. You know, a lot of the limitations, especially in Ethereum, were just how long things take transaction-wise. If you have to wait 10 minutes to set a limit order or something like that, you know, that's doesn't feel like a traditional exchange. But on these new networks where it's you know, second, some second finality on 
a transaction, you can just you know skin up a UI to look like Binance under the hood. It's a DEX. That's very very powerful stuff. Well, do you see any concerns regarding any regulatory crackdown or stance against any of the DeFi? Oh, for sure. You know, definitely. You know, so many governments, so many agencies are trying to figure out the best way to protect people, but still allow the flexibility for technology to innovate. But more regulations are coming, especially the KYC, the Know Your Customer. And so the approach that a lot of projects take is two versions of their app. Like Aave is a good example. They have traditional Aave, anyone can use it. And they have Aave Pro, where you kind of have to KYC yourself, provide an ID or something. And, and I think that's the model that Pangolin is going to go for too, is we don't want to lose users or, or countries or regions. We want to make sure that people can access our app. And so we could also go and split into the pro versus traditional app model. And uh, we have a pretty strong partner alliance block we've partnered with just kind of in preparation for this coming regulation. Well, I guess, you know, based on what you mentioned earlier, AVAX kind of gearing towards more of an institutional type investors. And I would assume that probably in your roadmap that you guys would be looking at implementing more of the pro version or interacting with those type of clients that need the KYC. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like I said before, I think the next step, the next evolution of DeFi is bridging into TradFi traditional finance. And with that, you do need the, the overhead of KYC, of legal entities, and all, all this paperwork and, and regulation, right? Does that bring it back to the traditional world too much? Or do you think all the key benefits of what we're trying to accomplish is still maintained in some fashion? Well, that's a great question too. <laughs> um, you know, I think maybe from a user experience, it might seem more like a traditional bank, but but the way we can build things, the way we can iterate is definitely different than the traditional world. In DeFi, you're you're building 24-7 because it's uh, you know, it's an international community and you're trading nonstop and you're able to iterate so quickly because you push code, you get feedback, you push code, you get feedback. Whereas if you look at, you know, like traditional banking, I don't think they've changed their back end for for decades because it's like, hey, if it's not broke. Don't fix it over there, right? So I just think it's going to be different just because of the speed that DeFi can innovate rapidly outpaces traditional finance. Yeah, I guess traditionally, you just set up customer service to deal with all those inbound <laughs> problems where in DeFi, it's more like check your Discord, right? <laughs> it's a really fun system to work with. As a user, you get to talk directly to the team and give your feedback instantly. And you're not going to get that in, in like traditional software, right? And as a team, you love to hear that feedback too. And can you tell me more about, I believe you guys have like a fee switch feature and how crucial it is to the exchange community? Oh, definitely, definitely. So like I touched on before, the swap volumes are what drives revenue indexes. And for a long time, we routed all the swap volume revenue to the LP providers. So 0.3% went to LP providers and the app didn't actually make revenue. And that's kind of the ethos of the app, community-run, community-driven. And then we had some need for capital. We needed to hire like a market maker, which is someone who trades on your behalf on centralized exchanges. A lot of the larger exchanges require market makers to facilitate volume, liquidity. And so in the Uniswap contracts, there's an option to route 0.05% to kind of another place. So we turn that on. And now a bit of those swap fees are going to our market maker fund so that we can get the PNG token listed on more exchanges, right? And the swap fees are really powerful too. Uh, I think we posted an image yesterday 
about a website that tracks the fees across networks. So like how many fees did Bitcoin collect today and Ethereum and Uniswap? And Pangolin actually collected more fees than the entire Bitcoin network in one day. And so that's just one DEX on a small network or a medium-sized network now collecting more fees than all of Bitcoin, which is you know, a little crazy to think about, right? Do you think Bitcoin has loses its love amongst the crypto community as a, a whole? I think Bitcoin has its place, right? That's what gets people to love crypto in the first place is they learn about Bitcoin. They learn like, wow, there's an alternative to using money issued by the government. They learn about blockchains. But once they start digging a little deeper, they realize, well, you can program smart contracts on Ethereum, but wait, Ethereum is slow. Well, there's like faster networks out there. And I think that's the, that's the cycle, right? That a lot of people get into crypto from. So I think, you know, Bitcoin's definitely necessary and has its place, but there's way more than Bitcoin now. And people are starting to realize that. What are some things that you guys could disclose that are on the roadmap in the next 12 or 24 months for Pangolin? That are some features that are in the works and may come out. Yeah. So a big one is just a, a UX redesign. Like I said, we want to make this app feel as much like something users are comfortable with it as possible, right? So we've got a full-time UX designer making some great designs that we're about to implement. Another one is kind of sex listings combined with a chain link Oracle. So first the sex listings. Now, right now there's only two places to get the PNG token, Pangolin or other decks on Avalanche and on Gate which is a centralized exchange. And that's not a lot of exposure. Not a lot of people are using Gate and not a lot of people are comfortable using MetaMask to swap for tokens. So there's a whole class of investors out there that might want the PNG token and just can't buy it. You know, so we're looking at a couple of listings. I think we've got one coming up this month, one coming up next month. And this opens a ton of doors, right? Because of the liquidity depth, the volume, new investors, what we're really excited about is the Chainlink price feed. So Chainlink is an Oracle service that allows smart contracts to read accurate prices, which is a tough problem to solve. And with a Chainlink price feed, tokens can be listed in a whole new basket of DeFi products. The two main ones being lending and borrowing. So deposit the PNG token as collateral, borrow another asset. That's a pretty powerful piece of utility for a token. Major coins are able to do this, but smaller tokens usually aren't able to do this. And another one is just getting in those index type DeFi projects. So like index coop, where it's like one token that tracks a basket of tokens. Usually they also want a chain link price feed to get accurate price readings. And so now PNG token can get included in those basket type index funds. And so that's really exciting. And then just thirdly, I think it's just um, all these partnerships that we are establishing across the network, right? We want Pangolin to be the go-to place that new projects integrate with when they come to Avalanche. And there's so many projects coming, you know, Aave is coming, Curve is coming, SushiSwap is coming. And we just really want Pangolin to be integrated with all of those. From the Chainlink price standpoint, how many sources are they getting the price from? Right. So when we talk to the Chainlink team, I think they generally like to see you know, at least two DEXs and two centralized exchanges. And there's tiers of centralized exchanges. You know, there's some that might do things like wash trading that they don't really like to look at. And so they have like a list of like, these are white listed exchanges that you need to get listed on before you can get a price feed. So those are the ones we're targeting. It seems like so many people are utilizing Chainlink for their price feeds. Do you think that's a central point of failure at some point? 
maybe from just like a process standpoint, because it's it's very hard to get one on chain length because their standards are so high, because there were issues before when, when the standards were more lax. So it might slow down progress if all of these tokens want to innovate, but they just can't because of this lack of a price feed. So maybe that's like a failure point. But as for maybe like a technical failure point, I think the Chainlink's architecture is good enough where they've kind of realized like this needs to be able to run without a lot of centralization. And I don't think, you know, there's any issues in that regard. What are the benefits of the PNG token? Yeah, so the PNG token, primarily it's for governance. It's voting power to influence the direction of the app. So you can vote on which farms are added, you can vote on where funds are spent, parameters of different things that the app is building. That's powerful in and of itself, right? And a lot of tokens have to be listed this way because just a regulation, you, you don't want a lot of scrutiny on a token if it's you know deemed as like a security or something like that. Exchanges won't list you, you might get in trouble actually. So a lot of tokens launch natively as a governance token, and just kind of give it away. But you can layer on utility after the fact, right? So you know, one utility is just kind of staking, we just added staking with funds from the Avalanche Rush program. The Avalanche Rush program generously gave Pangolin uh, $2 million in AVAX for the staking that we implemented. So stake PNG, earn AVAX, really cool stuff. And then the future ones are just getting this utility, like I mentioned with the Chainlink price feed. You know, let's let PNG be used as collateral. We have a part of Launchpad Partner Starter that's gonna let PNG be used as kind of this launchpad type token where you kind of lock your tokens and get allocations in an IDO. And so there's more, more utility throughout the network in the other apps, I think is the next step for the PNG token. So beyond providing incentives, how else do you guys engage the community and increase social awareness to incentivize long-term token holding? Basically, like how do you kind of engage the community, increase social awareness and maintain those users over a long period of time. So we try to be as available as possible, you know, across the popular mediums that users like to interact on. So the top three in my mind are Twitter, Telegram, and Discord. I rarely in crypto and DeFi, people like to keep their money in a project and never talk to the project team or learn anything about them. Some of our users are, are here every day talking to us, asking questions, being very engaged. And so we have a great team of you know, moderators on Telegram answering questions. And the core team gets in there too when we have time. And we're very active on Twitter. I think last week, it's a lunar crush or something. We were a top 10 in social media engagement last week. So that's really cool to see. And then Discord too, same as Telegram. We're just in there all day, every day, talking to users. So you guys have part of the team that just focuses on that. That's their full role. Right. We have people where that's their full role. And then people who aren't their role also kind of enjoy doing that, you know, when they get a little bit of free time. Yeah, I mean, imagining Discord and going through Discords is always feels like a full-time job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. I guess, you know, we'll leave off one last question and then you can add anything if you like is, you know, how do you see the value, but more importantly, the utility of the token continually rising with adoption over the years to come? So I think it, strong tokenomics is really important, which is something that we are going to revisit. Pangolin's tokenomics started with kind of this halving model where... Daily output is constant, and then it just kind of just drops off after four years. And we didn't think that was optimal. So we're going to have a more smoothed emissions drop off 
that we're going to implement soon. And so I think deflationary tokenomics is important too, kind of this buyback and burn concept that we want to implement just to give the token a little bit more scarcity over time. And so even without utility, if you have a strong tokenomics model, I think that really helps the demand and supply aspect of a token. But as for like why buy PNG regardless of the tokenomics, you know, I think it's just getting that token that's that's used everywhere in the ecosystem, right? We've seen tokens like that on BSC, like Cake is used in so many apps. There's so many ways that you can burn Cake in their project. We kind of want that for PNG too. Like we just had a partner V Finance launch their leverage trading platform. And on day one, you can deposit PNG and borrow PNG for leverage trading in that platform. A lot of things like this is, I think, what will give PNG a lot of utility. So who's responsible for you know putting together those partnerships? Well, that's mainly my role right now. <laughs> and what's great about Pangolin is a lot of the, the partnerships we make aren't us just cold calling. It's like projects come to us. Like, hey, we really want to build on Avalanche and we really want to integrate with you guys. And so a lot of our partnerships form that way too. I appreciate that. And anything else you'd like to leave off, you know, for all of our listeners and or users? Get out there and try DeFi if you haven't tried it. Get out there, try Ethereum and try Avalanche and just kind of compare the two just for your own knowledge. It's a really great experience over here. So you basically say, go jump on Ethereum, see how high your gas fees are. So when they come over to you, they they don't leave again? (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Uh, I think someone tweeted the other day, it's cheaper to bridge to Avalanche and swap and then bridge the same tokens back then to just like do the same swap on Uniswap in terms of gas in some scenarios. And so do you think that's ultimately what's playing out in the next few years? I mean, do you think most trades and executions and activity will play on the layer twos or side chains? Yeah, until um, you know the Ethereum-based layer can scale up and get the fees down. You know, a lot of users are very conscious of their gas costs and will go to other places, right? And do you think that's achievable? Which part? Ethereum? Well, I hope so. (laughs) You know, eventually. (laughs) It's just about when, right? Are are they going to be too late? Uh, I'm not sure. That's interesting. I appreciate it. For website, Discord, Twitter handles, where can people reach you guys, interact? Yeah, just, you know, check out our main website, pangolin.exchange. It's got all the information you need there. You can play with our app. You know, follow us on Twitter, pangolindex. So... Yeah, we would love to, you know, answer any questions if you swing by Telegram or Discord. Just look for Leo. Well, Leo, I appreciate sharing everything about the project today. Thank you. They had a great chat. Thank you so much. 